Hello and welcome back to the Trick Play Podcast. I'm Simon Chiskovsky and I'm here with Caleb Peterson and shortly we'll be breaking down all of the sports-related news, rumors, and drama that you will want to hear about. This episode we'll be talking about our thoughts on free agency so far in both the NBA and the NHL. Then we'll move on to the shocking performance in the MLB. That was 3,969 days in the making and why the NFL is blaming its own players for the slippery state of the field in last year's Super Bowl. Caleb, are you ready to get into it? Absolutely. So obviously, like we talked about a little bit last week, there's already been quite a few big signings in the NHL, and obviously the NBA as well, which is what I mentioned in the intro, but we'll get into that later. I figure we'll start off with probably one of the bigger ones, at least on this list that I've got right here, and Ryan O'Reilly went to the Nashville Predators, which is definitely an interesting one, Caleb. I don't know about you, but he's definitely, he has the potential to be the center that that team has been missing for God knows how long. It could be a big, big factor for them next year. No, it's true. It's uh, Obviously, whenever you get a player like Ryan O'Reilly, um, it's a very good piece to have. For me, I just think the interesting part about it is the fit that he has with the team. For me, Nashville is an interesting team because they were on the fringe last year, and you kind of think they're on their way out of contention. But when they make a move to get a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, that kind of speaks to them still having some sort of championship ambition, right? Because um, that was the same move the Leafs did last year, right? He was brought in to help them win a championship. He's got championship experience in St. Louis, um, tried to bring, bring that to Toronto, obviously didn't quite work out, and now he's going to Nashville, which I just think is an interesting fit. I think obviously a good player. I'm just wondering what the intention is in signing him there. Yeah, for sure. And when you first mentioned fit, I thought that was interesting because I thought you were going to take that in a different direction. Because I think when I think of Ryan O'Reilly, I think that he's the type of player who could fit well on almost any team. But I, de- I also definitely agree with you on the fact that it's an interesting signing for the Predators. And I remember even thinking that when it happened because obviously not exactly a team that looks like they're going to win a Stanley Cup next year. But that if they put him on a line with Philip Forsberg, if they set up – decent offense next year they could potentially be on the be a contender next year it'll be interesting to see what they can do it'll definitely be interesting i just can't say that i have a whole lot of faith because after forsberg and o'reilly who do you really have after that right um like looking looking at their lineup like even just getting to the second line it already looks pretty um lacking in depth you've got like Kiefer Sherwood on the wing, Thomas Novak at center, Luke Evangelista on the right wing. Um, like I haven't heard of most of those guys. It's it's kind of it, it'll be it'll definitely be interesting because a lot of the moves that I saw Nashville making was selling off parts of their core and trying to rebuild, whereas this move kind of goes against the grain in that way. Um, so I, I I don't even. I don't know if they would even be quite contender status after this move. It just speaks that they think that they can be champion, like championship contender status, where I, I don't really know if that's the right way to take it. Unless it's looking like longer down the road, they want to have Ryan O'Reilly. Because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that this deal is I... four, four years long. So is it more for the end of the deal than the start of the deal? That's kind of what I would be thinking. Well, I'm definitely going to need a refresher on how old Ryan O'Reilly is. Because I was under the impression he was... He's 32. Not exactly in the... 32. Oh, okay, never mind. He's younger than I thought he was. Okay. 
32 is not bad. It'll be 36 at the end of that contract. But you, you did mention their lineups, which you have a good point. Their offense definitely isn't nothing pretty. It has potential. They've got a couple of young guys in the bottom half of it, but it's definitely not bad. When, when I look at the Preds, their strong point is definitely their defense. Because, I mean, Roman Yossi, Ryan McDonough, Tyson Berry, that's a pretty solid top three. Luke Shen in there, he's not bad either. Like, they've got a pretty decent lineup there. And obviously they have Yuso Saros. Sorry, I slipped on that for some reason. And uh, that's not a, when I look at a team like that, I'm thinking, like, they're, that's a very solid team. Probably first round exit at best, but they're definitely not, they're definitely a playoff team. I can definitely say that when I look at a lineup like that. I I don't know. I don't think they, I really don't think they're a playoff team right now. Like You don't think so? No. You can't be a playoff team if you can't score. And other than that first line, mm, I don't think they're going to score any goals. Because this is kind of what we saw. They with, definitely need a couple breakout players. They really do. And this is kind of what we saw with the Flames last year, right? Where it's like True. good on defense, like the Sutter style of defense works. We limited people to um, like a low amount of goals, but we couldn't get any on our end. Ended up losing more games than we won and missing the playoffs. It, it seems like it would be a similar story to Nashville. Yeah, I definitely don't disagree with you. So, obviously, there, we've got a lot of people on this list to get to. Let's cut this off here. What would you, if you were to give a grade to this move for the Predator, what do you think you'd give? Uh, for the Ryan O'Reilly, I'd give it like a, it's not, it's not, it's not terrible in terms of, um, like, how, how much they're paying for him, right? Because he's a, he is a, like, not top tier star, but like, I'd say mid tier star. Um, and they're yeah, and they're paying sure. only like eight, it's 18, 18 million over four years. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. Um, so if if this deal works out in the way that I think Nashville hopes it does, to where he's more beneficial for them in the future, then I can be in, like my opinion on this deal can improve. But for now, um, I'm kind of sticking on the low end. I'd give it like a like a B minus, just because I think it's not. It's a great player, and it's a good deal for him. I just don't think it's the right fit at the right time. Okay, I I definitely don't disagree with any point you made there. I think I'd put it a little bit higher, just because I think as a team, this shows what the Predators are tr- looking towards. Trying, to, they're not looking at selling. Obviously, you pointed that out earlier. This is obviously a pretty big buying move, but um, I definitely, I think I'd give it a B plus just because they they did exactly what anybody team that's buying would want to do. They picked up a new star center. He, he'll hopefully be pretty solid for them, and uh, obviously we'll have to see how that works out for them. I think I'd probably give it a B plus. Not much higher than you gave it, but I think I'd, I'd definitely give them a little bit more credit because obviously if you want to look at how much Ryan O'Reilly's probably going to add to that team, just think about how people are talking about the Leafs and how different they'll be without Ryan O'Reilly, right? That's the way that I'm kind of looking at it. I think that it is a move that is pretty solid for the Predators, but it's only if you look at it as them buying, which how good they'll be next year, even with them, is, you know, up in the air. So we'll see. But right now, I'd probably give it a plus. But other than that, I think we can probably move on to the next one, guy. I don't know about you. Mm-hmm. I think I'm thinking. Let's keep at the top of this list. Let's go Blake Wheeler. What do you think on that? One? Uh, for Blake Wheeler, that's a 
honestly, that is a great signing for the Rangers. That's a very low-risk, potentially high-reward kind of signing. Because uh, the term, it's a, it's a one-year signing. It's very much a um, kind of prove-yourself prove deal after Winnipeg bought him out, I believe. Um, and it's exactly what the Rangers need at this point. The Rangers are just on the cusp of contention. They've got a, a lot of young prospects that haven't quite developed, and like if any of them hit in the next couple of years, then they can take them over the top. Like Looking at Capocacco and uh, Lafreniere, if either of those guys hit, then like I think the Rangers can be in solid cup contention with the rest of the roster they have. Um, the one thing that I would say that is not as good for this deal is you could say like they've tried this before and it doesn't exactly work um, with the signings of Kane and Tarasenko. Um, they still weren't sure. able to get past the first round, even with all that veteran like championship depth. Um, they still weren't able to make it past the first round. But I still think it's worth a shot on Blake Wheeler just because it's such a such a cheap deal. It's eight 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 hundred thousand. It's it's basically chump change in the NHL. Um, yep. So it's worth it's worth. Well, it is chump. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's worth the flyer on it. I think. Yeah, for sure. And I do. I would never disagree with you on that. I think picking up a guy like Blake Wheeler for eight hundred k in any situation is what and exactly what any team would possibly want. Having a veteran guy like that, he's been on good teams. He's been on teams that have won. He's a guy who you can basically slide him in anywhere on that right wing side and on any line, and you will be perfectly. I think the Rangers are obviously going to try and slide him in that top two because obviously he'll either – I think he'll probably either be playing with Chris Kreider or Panarin, I think, because Panarin – they're both left-wingers, right? I got that right? I think I got that right. Anyway, he'll either be playing with one of the two and probably have a pretty good opportunity to have a pretty solid year next to one of them. As long as he doesn't regress, we'll have to see what happens with that. But even if he does, I mean, picking up a regressing player at 800K, I don't think anybody's going to care too much. Yeah, you can cut – But I definitely don't disagree with you. Great deal. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, no, and you're right. Like you can, you can if he regresses, you can cut your losses on that like super fast. You move on, and oh, then yeah. it's and then it's okay. And then even even if he has like an amazing season, it's also not that big of an investment to keep him around because he's already an aging player, and I don't think there would be that much competition for his services. So it's it kind of works out perfectly in both directions, right? Yep. And even if he does regress, putting him on a fourth line, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And, I mean, like you said, this is a team that's looking to contend, despite losing some veteran stars in Kane and, uh, oh, crap, what was it? Uh, Tarasenko? Tarasenko. Why did that slip? I don't know why that slipped my mind, anyway. But they still are a very solid team, like you pointed out. They've got pretty much no holes anywhere, as far as I can see. Obviously, they are looking to improve, as it wasn't enough last year, but who knows? Maybe they'll have more luck this year. But uh, since we've got a lot of names to go through here, what grade would you give it, you think? I'm going to give it an A right now. Um, and yeah. the only thing keeping me from giving it any higher is just the... It, it, it does have a limited ceiling, right? It's not going to be a player that will change your franchise yeah. around. Um, it's just like a smart, savvy business move. It's, it's a, Which will get for me like a solid A. Definitely a great move. Yep. And I definitely agree with you. I think that it's an A, a as well. I don't think, for all the exact same reasons, I'm just going to basically repeat the same thing you said. Obviously, the upside isn't crazy on this. If they're, they're getting a 36-year-old player who who knows how good he'll actually be next year because, obviously, aging player, he could decline. He probably will decline. 
whether he, he can maybe pull one more out, one more star level season, if that, we'll have to see. But even if he doesn't, there's it's high or you know medium risk, low reward, right? It's an A. I would give it an A for the Rangers for sure. And if we just want to keep moving down this list, we have Matt Duchesne to the Dallas Stars, which I believe, off the top of my head, you might have to Caleb if you. I don't know if you have the numbers on this I pulled can. up, but uh, if you do, can you you can correct me on this? I think it's three million. Yeah, that, right? that's one that's year, three million. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, it is one year, three million. Okay. Obviously, right away, I think it, for almost the exact same reason as the Blake Wheeler, I can say that this is, when I saw this, is, I thought this was a great move by the Dallas Stars. It's a guy who has put up a lot of points in previous seasons, and he's been very successful on every team he's been on, really. I think it's a great guy to potentially slide in anywhere on that Dallas Stars lineup. We'll have to see where he ends up. They've got a pretty... I remember correctly, pretty solid Ford, Ford core all the way down. So it'll be interesting to, to see if he'll get in that, that top two. We'll have to see. But uh, I think it's a great move. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's kind of the thing, um, it's interesting going from the O'Reilly deal to this one because it's kind of a it's kind of a similar move, right? It's a, It feels like a move to bring in a guy to put you over the edge. Now, the difference is what I didn't like the O'Reilly deal as much is because Nashville is not in the position to make that kind of move. Dallas, on the other hand, is. And especially Matt Duchesne, Matt Duchesne as a player, you look at where he came from, Nashville, right? Like, Nashville, I think, made the right move by um, buying out Matt Duchesne, right? It's the time where you need to reset and the time where you need to start stocking up draft picks and getting capital for some of your stars, although in, in Matt Duchesne's case, obviously, with his... Because I think he had a pretty huge behemoth of a contract. You almost had to cut dead weight on that one. Um, but and for the Stars, it's picking up a guy like Matt Duchesne makes a lot more sense than for a team like the Predators. Um, just because of the situation you're in. Because definitely, like like you said, Simon, like the Stars forward group is insanely good. Um, there's a reason they go as far as they do every year. Because I think it's they, they have a lot of... Um, guys that aren't as much big names like uh rupe hence is um, who immediately comes to mind and pavelski like who was a big name but people write him off because of his age um like it's these players that have become subtly underrated that take dallas all the way to like the western conference final last year to a stanley cup final a few years ago um when a lot of people wouldn't have predicted them to get that far like at all at the start of the playoffs or at the start of the season. And I feel like Matt Duchesne can be another one of those players because, well, he, in, in his heyday, he was talked about and um, was definitely a big name among the stars of the NHL. Um, well, he still kept up good production. I just don't think he's quite in that same level of the conversation anymore. So I think Dallas is a really good fit for him to kind of fit in alongside those depth pieces or those, those really good scoring depth pieces that they have and hopefully make an impact there to get Dallas finally kind of over over the hump that they've been in, reaching the, the conference finals and Stanley Cup finals and not being able to win one yet. Yeah, for sure. And I think the one of the things that I'm, when I look at a move like this, I'm looking at, again, and there's quite, I can say this about a lot of moves this offseason so far, and I, I'm sure I will, low risk, high reward. When you're paying a guy like Matt Duchesne $3 million, obviously, the high reward here is you can expect probably like a 60-point season out of him. 
But the thing is, when you're paying someone as low as $3 million, if Matt Duchesne falls off and only puts up like a 40-point season, that's not even the end of the world. That's still great for a third, fourth liner. You cannot complain about that for a guy of the role that he'll have. That's the thing when I, that's the thing that immediately comes to mind when I think of a move like this. It's just it's perfect for a contender like Dallas. I I personally think that this is a great move for them. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Like it's uh it's it's another move that fits in right alongside the, the Blake Wheeler move for um, New York and, and just how it's yeah. a, a perfect fit with a player who still has a lot of potential and a little bit of juice left in the tank that may be a little bit undervalued just because of um, age and how um, the co- the con- sometimes the contracts that players are in make them seem worse than they are because um, they were so overvalued at one point in terms of how much money they were paid like Matt Duchesne before was way way overpaid for the production that he had he was being paid like a top 10 star and um, well he's really good he wasn't quite that um, and so I think it's the same kind of thing where that kind of lowers the lowers the market on him um, to a certain extent. So when a team can come in and um, swoop him up, I think it's a really smart, savvy move to take take advantage of that. Yeah, for sure. And let's uh, we can cut this one off. Just put a another grade. I'll. Do you want to give yours first? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. I think I I'd I'd hesitate between going A minus to A. Um, I'm still going to lean towards A just because I, I really like the team and player fit. Um, it is a li- little bit more money than the Blake Wheeler deal, which again I think is comparable, but um, in, at the end of the day I don't think it's enough to really budge the needle for me, so I'd still stick with A. Like I think it's a really good signing. Yeah, for sure, and I agree with everything that you just said there. I was about to say the exact same thing. <laughs> I, I agree with A. I would give it the same thing as the Blake Wheeler. I think that they're both very, or not trade, sorry, signing. I think they're both very, very similar moves. Obviously, 800K, 3 million, there's a little bit of a difference there. But I don't think it's enough to truly matter. And honestly, getting a player like Duchesne for 3 million, nobody's complaining. (laughs) So I think it's a great move for them. I think it's an A as well. I think that one's a pretty safe one there. And if we want to keep moving on down the list we have here, next up we have Connor Brown, who went to the Edmonton Oilers to rejoin his Erie Otters. Yeah, McDavid played for the Erie Otters. Rejoin his ex-Erie teammate, Connor McDavid, which is an interesting one to me. That's another player who still decently young, but never really broke out necessarily. It's an interesting move. It definitely is, and it's, uh, it's a bit of a risky one. And just because of the the injury history, right? Coming off of the ACL injury last year, um, it does stink a little bit of a uh, very much motivated by Connor McDavid type move, and it just feels like for the Oilers, it's just n- not quite enough. Um, like even if this works out to the fullest extent, it, it feels like it's not quite enough of a move um, because they've had such high expectations um, for the last however long McDavid and Drysaddle have been playing at their peak and it just feels like uh, they need a little bit more to move the needle if you know what I mean it, it just does it, it I'm not yeah. saying it's bad in a vacuum I just feel like I need a little bit more do you have how much money they paid them uh let me see 
can get that pretty quick. Okay, they, well, um, while you try and find that, I think I'll just quickly mention this. I, when I look at the, I'm, I currently have their lineup pulled up on my screen. When I'm looking at this lineup, I think where he's going to slide in is an interesting topic to me. Because obviously, that first line for Edmonton kind of stayed pretty pretty similar the entire season, if I remember correctly. Connor McDavid, Hyman, and Kane. I, that's what I always thought of this, right? I think it'd be interesting if to see whether the Oilers try and slide Connor Brown up there with Connor McDavid to see if they can kind of maybe try and get a spark out of him. Obviously, we've seen them do that in the past with certain players. And McDavid has a habit of elevating players. So, I mean, it, I think it could be an interesting idea and definitely something I want to talk about, whether you would put Connor Brown on a line with McDavid in this upcoming season or whether you just want to keep playing so. Well, I think that's why, like, you can't have made that move and not have that be your intention, Right. Because that's what everybody talks yeah. about this after this deal. It's like, oh, he's reuniting with McDavid, his old line mate, the two Connors, whatever. It's it's the same kind of talk everybody has. And I, this may be my anti-Oilers bias here as a Flames fan, but you, ever, you just get the sense that every move that the Oilers make is just overpraised just a little, just, just an annoying amount. Um where I, I've, I've not heard too much negativity about this Connor Brown deal. Everybody's talking about um, how great it will be to reunite him with Connor McDavid. You hear all the stories about McDavid reaching out to Connor Brown to get him to sign at Edmonton. And it just feels like one of those things that um, they're going to try to reunite him on the same line. Um, and because as Connor Brown as good of a player as Evander Kane is, I wouldn't say so. Um, so it, it just feels like the kind of thing that's a little bit overblown. Sure, you can hope for the, the chemistry to come back, and I think that's what they're betting on. Um, so they'll, de they'll definitely put him on a line. I just don't know if it'll show any improvement to actually put him on that line. So will they will they try it absolutely like maybe first 20 25 games but will it stick who knows right i don't know if he's a, a first first line type player at this point in his career also um in terms of contract number they paid him one year um which is which feels good because if he because we don't even know how healthy he's going to be coming back from an acl injury um and but True. four four million is the number well, from what I'm looking at right now, it looks like that's what it could be with performance bonuses. Mm. Is that what? Is that right? Uh, I that's what I have in front of me. I don't I don't know if that's right or not. But uh, if you're if you're right on that with uh, if with it being just completely four million, uh, that's an overpay, and I agree with you on that. But if it's if what I'm reading right now, which is why I want I want to make sure. To, let's figure out who's right on this. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Because I'm not sure, I don't know how correct the source I have on this. I wish I pulled this up prior. But what I have is one year, 775, which is going towards their cap hit with up to $4 million in performance bonuses. So if he plays up to that level that they're hoping of him, he'll get $4 million. Which, but obviously with less risk, because if he doesn't, 775, who cares? Right? That's not bad. Okay, yeah. 700000 nobody's crying. Yeah, no, I'm seeing the same thing. I'm seeing the same thing. No, I agree. That that makes okay. it a, that well, makes it a lot easier to swallow. Yeah, for sure. And that's why, I, which is why I was actually going into that. I was going to disagree with you because I actually think 
that there isn't a reason to not give praise to a contract like this. Because again, I'm going to say this a thousand times in this segment, low risk, high reward. He's the type of guy who never really hit that ceiling that everybody expected of him. And now he has the opportunity to play against the best player in the world who has a history of elevating players to career years. And we'll have to see if he can do that with Connor Brown. I think, I think it's going to be interesting. I, I'm actually kind of, kind of a little, even though Flames fan as well, I'm definitely excited to see how this turns out for them. I've been a, not a huge fan of Connor Brown, but I've definitely followed him throughout his career. I think it's going to be interesting to see what they can do with him. I think if he slides in in that spot that Evander Kane had previously been in, I feel like with the player that he is, that we've seen in the past in the NHL, I think that he's not at that level, but we've seen McDavid do bigger things with worse. I can definitely tell you that. So. Yeah, I, I just, it doesn't feel like the upgrade that everybody says it is. I'm, I'm looking at, so I looked up the, when I was looking up the contract at double check the, um, the cap hit, um, the first article that comes up, let me read you this headline, uh, a stroke of genius, Edmonton Oilers GM Ken Hollins gets high praise for free agent action, action, like, cut, like, so, come on. So it, who, who, who's this from though? <laughs> oh, it's the Edmonton, like, it's the Edmonton what? journal. So it's, okay. so it's, okay. That's, that's, that's what I figured. <laughs> of course, of course it's Edmonton based media. Okay. Um, but like, that's kind of, sure. that's kind of the same thing that I've been hearing everywhere. It, it's not, it's okay. not, it's not the thing that's going to change the Oilers, right? Like, I, I, I no, feel... I, and I don't disagree with you. I think it's just another filler guy to put in that first line at the end of the day. But all I'm saying is that I think that it's, I think it's a great deal. I have no issues with it. I personally would give it a pretty high grade and I'm sure I will in a minute. But, um, I would not say I would not give that kind of praise obviously because it's obviously that type of headline is pampered towards a certain audience I don't, don't think I have to tell you that but um yeah I personally have no issue with it <laughs> yeah I don't I don't have an issue with it I more have an issue with the response to it but yeah it, it just doesn't feel like from the purely player side of it it just doesn't feel like it moves the needle like it it could if everything pans out and I think I think that's where Looking at the, the further details of the contract, like I do think that's where the value comes in, and I do think it's a good contract um, and a good signing, especially considering yeah. how much of it is performance bonuses. Um, I just don't think um, taking out all variants, I don't think it's going to move the needle too much. And to be frank, Edmonton kind of needs to move the needle um, because it's year after year of disappointment after disappointment they need to make moves now. There's a reason Vegas won the Stanley Cup. They made moves. Yeah. They got stars. Um, and if you can't support Connor McDavid um, with those kind of players, like why didn't like I, I I don't have Edmonton's cap number at the the forefront of my head, so it may not have been possible. But but for like potentially up to four million for Connor Brown, could you have not spent that money on Ryan O'Reilly? Were you not in the conversation for that? It just doesn't feel like it. Mm. It just doesn't feel like it. Yeah, that. I, I don't know. That I could be talking out of my butt on that one. Um, it just feels like they have to make some sort of bigger moves. And um, that it feels like they're going for more of a good story than a good hockey team at a certain point. To give you, to give you an update on their cap space, they had 5.6, which I'm not sure if this is before or after. The signing which is like so 
like like eight eighteen million. Oh, it is after. Okay. It is after okay. the signing. They do have him on here. So. so so let's say they don't make that signing, then you have more cap space. Eighteen million over four years is four and a half million per year. They had enough to get that done. Like yep. that that's what I'm saying, right? It just feels like this kind of mediocre, um, like ceiling based move that everybody's praising when in reality I think it's gonna lead to just another second round exit for them. It's not a bad contract. Like I think the actual contract itself is well done. I just think they could have gone for a better player. Um, if I was gonna give it like a grade, I think I'd give it a a B, because it, it just does like like perfectly average. It it just doesn't move me either way. I think that the player is fine. I think the the terms of the contract are are pretty good. Um, I just think I need more from the Oilers at this point. Yep, and I definitely don't disagree with you. I, I can definitely say, like I've mentioned throughout this entire one, that I'm definitely on the side that it's a pretty good deal. But I was even going to say before you said that, I also had B. Because <laughs> based on what we've said for all the moves previ- previously, or at least what I've said, I don't think it's high enough, good enough to give, me, to give him a B plus and put him on the same side as uh, Ryan O'Reilly. It's definitely not that good of a deal. But it's, I still think it's a great contract. It's a great deal. It's a it's a nice move bringing in a former teammate for your star. I mean, you see these traits all over the NHL, no matter what team it is, when you have a big player like that. It's a pretty common place in every sport. I personally like it. I still would give it a B because, like you said, the upside isn't really there. They kind of needed a bigger guy. Who knows if they were in on O'Reilly? Who knows, right? So, who knows? That's all I'm saying with that. But uh, obviously, I think they're, the upside, the biggest upside is that he ends up being like maybe a 30-goal scorer next to McDavid, which you can say all you want, the low chance of that happening. But we've seen it happen before. Think about like Patrick Maroon. You wouldn't think of him as a 30-goal scorer, would you? Yeah. But um, and then you have another, and then you're just making your second line better, having Kane down there. Like overall, it the upside is there for a big move. Is it enough to get them over the hump? Probably not. So, I don't disagree. But I, either way, we've talked about this too much already. We should move on. Max Pacioretty to the Washington Capitals. What do you think on that one? Uh, that one feels like an awesome deal to me. Um, this is probably one of my favorites, I would have to say. I'd, I'd have to double-check the um, cap number on that. But it just... it. Again, like you've said it a lot, but the low-risk, high-reward. I don't think any player encapsulates yeah. <laughs> that's more... I don't think any player encapsulates that more than Max Pacioretty, because. And do you do you have the number on him? I keep asking that. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I should pull. I do not I gotta have pull the this number. Stuff <laughs> I do not. Uh, okay, I do now. I do now. Um, you do. One year, two million dollar deal, uh, with another two million Ooh, available in bonus. That is a good one. That's a, yeah. It's a good deal. Like, um, obviously injury concern, right? Like Achilles is the worst sports yep. injury you can have it no question so there is concern that he'll ever be able to get back to that place again but um if he does then you are like you are getting yourself a star player um who has a higher ceiling than i think any of these guys that we've talked about before debatably ryan o'reilly but i i don't know mm, it's debatable it's it's one. debatable it's debatable, yeah. but it's also ch- it's also cheaper, right? 
Um, it's also cheaper and for a shorter term, just in case it doesn't work out, which are both which both are things that I like. Um, I don't like the team fit is not as intriguing to me. Washington feels like Nashville light in a way. Um, to where they're an Asian core, the only difference is they haven't fully gone fire sale mode yet. So, like, they technically, well, they technically still could contend. Um, I think I think the biggest difference between Nashville and the Capitals is the fact that the Capitals still have their aging stars. Yeah, that that's the biggest difference when I look at that. That's so what I mean. obviously they they have more of a reason to contend. I think is the thing that sticks out to me. Yeah, that's what I mean when I say like they haven't gone fire sale mode yet. They haven't started shipping yeah. off like Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Backstrom. Like, they still have their core. And the thing is, I'm sure they won't. Yeah, that's that's a team that I don't think that can really do that. I personally, if Ovechkin ends his career on any team that is the cap isn't the Capitals, I would be incredibly shocked. Oh, I yeah. think that he's such like that's that's one of those things that I just can't imagine happening. So if if it takes the Capitals being mediocre for the next couple of years, I feel like that's probably more likely than them you know like you said going full fire sale yeah and like like looking at this whole roster like i i completely agree it's it's a much different it's, it's different from the preds in the way that you can look at this roster at least on the on the offensive side and still be like okay like that this is something i can work with ovechkin kuznetsov tom wilson Pacioretty, Backstrom, T.J. Oshie, Sonny Milano, who's underrated, Dylan Strom, Anthony Mantha. Like, I can go down three lines deep and be relatively confident um, in at least the experience that they have. Um, getting older, again, not as good as in their heyday, but, like, I can be more confident with that than Nashville's one-line-deep team. Defense, other than John Carlson, it's looking kind of rough, but... Um, but still, it's it's definitely more of like a, I can respect this push for contention a little bit more. I don't obviously I don't think they're gonna win, but I can respect the effort a lot more than I can Nashville because in Nashville it feels like you were doing everything right. You were getting so much draft capital. Why are you backtracking on it now? With Washington, it's like okay, I understand going all in for one more year, and then maybe after that you can trade off Kuznetsov and Backstrom and. I agree. I don't think Ovi's going to ever wear another uniform, but like it makes a little bit more sense in this case. I'm a, a little bit more on board with the fit here than I was in Nashville. Yep, and preaching to the choir on that one, I definitely agree with you. I think that this is the type of move that I'm not surprised to see the Capitals making. Obviously, it's a little bit more shocking to see Nashville make the move we, they did, but they did it. It is what it is. I don't think I still don't think it's a bad deal for they got a pretty good bang for their buck with the guy they got for the number they got him on at. Uh, you can def and you can obviously say the same thing about the Capitals. Obviously, you've already mentioned how big of a fan you are of this move. What rating would you give it? Um, I would probably give it like. Hmm, I'm trying to keep keep track in my head of what I've already given other deals just to have a comparison point. It's another it's another one where I'm like flirting with a. <laughs> With a with an A minus, but I'm probably gonna lean to another A. Like it's, I don't think it's an A plus deal yet. Like if this, if this was like Pacioretty going to like Carolina or some team that I think that would be, yeah, that would be an A plus, um, immediately. But um, to the Capitals, it's like I I think I'd give it a solid A. Like it 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 makes sense. It's not the best 
fit in the world, but it it makes sense. It's an it, and you're getting a player who has the opportunity to be like something truly special. So that's why it would get an A for me. You know, I was gonna give it an A too, but because I don't want to be the same, I think I'll actually give this one an A plus. Mm. For the only the only reason I would do that is because obviously you mentioned the fact that if he had gone to Carolina, you'd give it an A plus. I would definitely do the same. I think it's even an A plus here. It's just such a god. I keep using this phrase: low risk, high reward. It's perfect. It's the perfect contract that you could possibly have for a veteran player, even if he's coming off an injury. There's no risk to it. Two million. Who even cares at that point? And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it's such a great deal. I definitely would give it an A plus. That is definitely the type of deal you want to make when you're trying to contend. Obviously, it's not the best team in the world to be doing it, arguably, but it's exactly what I'd expect from the Capitals anyway. They're not a team that's obviously going to be looking to be, get worse. They want to get better. They're, this definitely, I think, pulls them back into contending a little, not top tier, but for, obviously for like a seventh, eighth spot, maybe even higher. Who knows? We'll have to see what happens. But I definitely could see them making the playoffs next year. Yeah. And just to be clear on that, I don't know if I made it clear enough. I said A+. Plus. But uh, anyway, what is next on the list? I scrolled down a little. Jonathan Drew. And I talked to you, about, Caleb, about this one a little bit before. I'm personally a really, really big fan of this movie because I've always been a pretty big fan of Jonathan Drouin during his career. I thought he was a great player, and I was truly disappointed and sad when he did retire early. Obviously, I don't remember the exact reason off the top of my head. I believe it was mental health-related, so obviously get better, come back. That's awesome for him. And... Um, it's awesome to see another team giving him a chance because I think that he's one of those guys who really has the potential. This is a move that we could be next year. We could potentially be talking about him next off season, making a real big deal. If this works out or a lot of money, sorry, if this works out for Colorado, because when I think of Drew I think of a really, really skilled forward. And if he can get back to the place that he obviously retired at, we could potentially see Colorado be an incredible team next year yeah i think i think this makes a lot more sense because there's a lot of these signings have parallels right this feels a little bit of a parallel to the connor brown move for me um this feels like what the connor brown move should have been um it's the same kind of like um you're buying you're buying in on a guy who has an insanely high ceiling to try and put your like already championship caliber roster over the top. Now the difference between Edmonton and Colorado is that I think Colorado already, I mean, we know that they already have the roster that can support a championship. Um, and so Jonathan Druin has a pretty big safety net. In Connor Brown's case, there's already so much pressure that's built up for Edmonton to win a championship and they've already like underwhelmed um, the expectations they had that there's so much pressure on him that I feel like it's almost harder for him to live up to um, this like the potential four million dollar contract right um, that's what I think about is different about Jonathan Druin because Col- Colorado if he flames out in Colorado I don't think it's as big of a of a deal for the team as it would be if Connor Brown flames out in Edmonton right like Colorado would no. would be fine without Druin. Um, if, if he doesn't work, they'd be exceptional with him. Edmonton, if Connor Brown works out, would be also exceptional with him. But they're kind of, 
I don't. I think they're kind of screwed <coughs> if they don't have him because they've otherwise been so stagnant, right? And they need to make moves. Colorado, I don't feel like needs to as much. So this is this is I think a better move for a team that can be okay with treading water a little bit. Yeah, and again, I agree with you completely. I think this is a very similar to the Connor Brown move for obviously a couple of reasons. There are two players who are both, we've seen the talent, we've seen them show that they can be that kind of player, it's just they haven't done it yet. So I think it's a great move for Colorado. I, Like I said earlier, I obviously not quite to the same level as the Edmonton Journal with the praise, but I did praise that move as well. I praise this one for a lot of the same reasons. I think it's just a great move. I think there's a lot, a lot, a lot of upside here. Because obviously, I think that Nathan McKinnon is by far the best player that Jonathan Drone would have ever played with. Especially if some, I don't, I don't see him playing on the same line as McKinnon. I don't think that that's the type of thing that Colorado would be looking for. Maybe if he can prove it, but he definitely won't start there. We'll have to see what happens with that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you disagree with me. Well, that's up to you. But um, I don't personally see it being the same situation as Connor Brown immediately probably sliding up on that first line side. I don't really see that happening. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I think I but think that's just my. Opinion. I think that's the difference in between these two trades, right? Is that is that you can say like, oh, like I don't see him immediately sliding in next to McKinnon, and I can like shake my head and be like, oh yeah, that sounds about right. Whereas like. If you say, do you, like, oh, I don't think Connor Brown will immediately go on the first line against McDavid, like, you're kind of like, eh, but that's kind of what he was there, brought there to do. Like, you see, do you yeah. see the difference in urgency there? That's kind of the yeah. nuance well, in that deal that, that has the difference for me. Yeah, for sure. And I, honestly, I still, that's a big reason, actually, that, because obviously we, we still have a lot of lists to go. I don't know if you've seen that, Caleb. I think we should probably speed up a little bit here. Yeah. So I'm going to go straight to grade. I think that this move right here is probably going to be another A to A+. plus. Probably A. Probably A. I don't think it's quite as good of a trade as the Max Pacioretty to the cap. Or not trade. I keep saying that. Trade. Signing. I don't think it's quite as good of a signing. I think it's still a great signing for Colorado. I think they're going to definitely be able to do a lot with them. I think they're one of those teams that really gives Druin a chance to stick out and potentially have a bounce-back season, which I would love to see personally. I think that this, if he does bounce back, Colorado could be could be looking at another cup again because, holy, that team will be stacked. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got to say about it. Yeah, I think I'd go maybe not quite that high because um, it, it is another one of those things like, if it doesn't uh, work out, it moves the needle so little. Um, but I definitely like it better than Edmonton's case. And I gave that move a B. I'm going to give this one like a very high B+. Plus. Um, okay. It's definitely like it's on the edge of being an A range. I just think I just think the chance of it flaming out is a little bit too high for me to give it an A. But it's definitely like a smart, savvy move that I agree with completely. Okay, yeah. Anyway, let's move on to the next one. Um, do you want to do Shane Gostabir? Did I say that right? I, I keep forgetting. Do you know if that's right? Uh, yep. On the pronunciation? Yeah, did I say that right? Okay, cool. I, I, I for some reason, I'm doubting myself on that one. But anyway, it's Detroit bringing in another defenseman to play probably next to Cider. We'll have to see what happens with that and what, how they want to use him. 
This is another move. I'm gonna have to. I should just pull up a sheet with all the numbers on it. But uh, I do not know how much they're paying him. I'm gonna check that now. But uh, uh, depending on what that number ends up being, I think it's a pretty good move for them. A little over four million. Dep a little over four million. Perfect. That's a great deal. Yeah, I I definitely think it's a good deal for them. Because obviously they're a young team that's potentially trying to move into contending. I think that's a great... No issue with that. It's a great deal. I don't have too much of an issue with it, like, in a vacuum. But I'm just, like, concerned with what's happening in Detroit in general. I had so much trust in the Iser plan. Um, and it's kind of <laughs> starting to fall apart. Like... We're not going to go into it fully, obviously, but that, like, they signed JT Confer for, I think, like, five, I think it was, like, a five by, it might have been a five by five, don't quote me on it, but it was, I didn't hear about it that. was, it was an <laughs> insane amount of money, and it's, like, these are the kind of, like, players you do not want to take on for that much money and that much term for a young team, like, I, I, I don't know. It feels like Detroit is the kind of team that needs more. It, it just needs to continue to grow how it's already been grown through the draft, through getting good young players like that. They like Maurice Sider, like Lucas Graymond. That's how you grow a team like Detroit. And the JT Comfort move, especially, I am just like wincing at that. I don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> and Goss Despair, like Goss Despair for me, I I. I haven't followed too closely, but it was a lot of hype early in his career, and it's kind of fizzled out recently. True. It feels like a little bit more of a pet project, um, and it just feels like Eiserman's reached a point where he's accrued all this, these good young players, and he just can't quite figure out what to do to get them over the hump. Like I feel like I feel like you need a little bit more of a big move than Goss Bear. It is only a one-year deal, um, so it's not that big of a risk. But I don't know. It just it just feels like it, 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 I don't know. It feels like a little bit underwhelming. There were so many other moves that Detroit had made in the past couple of years that I was like excited for, and this year I'm starting to just like fade on that a little bit. Like I was thinking maybe they'd be contending for a cup in the next like two years, but uh, I don't know anymore. In a vacuum, this deal is like yeah. okay, um, but it, it it feels like a little bit too much money for a player who as of recently hasn't quite proven himself. So if we if we wanted to like speed it up a little bit, I'd probably give it like similar to Connor Brown. I'd say I'd say I'd say a B. It just doesn't feel like it's all that impactful. It feels like one of those signings that you're gonna forget has happened um come next July first. Yep, and uh the worst part, once again, I agree with you, I was thinking of B as well. But uh, anyway, I definitely agree with a lot of things that you said there. I think I don't have too much to say on it. I think it's a good deal, like you said, in a vacuum. Four million for a type of player like him is not bad at all. That's definitely the type of money he was going to make. I, I have no issue with it, but obviously I won't repeat all the things you just said. We can move on. I would give it a B as well. Next up, we have an interesting one to me. Corpusalo to the Ottawa Senators. Mm -hmm. What do you think on that one? I think I, I, I want to pull up the numbers because I know, I know it's a yeah, long, I, I know it's that. a long deal. Um, 
I'm going to hold my... I believe, I believe, I saw it earlier, I think it's four years, 20 million, but I will double check okay, that Okay, so like a four, a four by five kind of thing? That, that yeah. feels... Oh, no. Uh, five years, 20 million. So, so it's a fu- four million. So, so, okay, okay. So yeah. it's the kind of deal that could be it's really tough because this could be a deal that like it sinks this team like maybe not sinks this team that's a little dramatic this could be a deal that's like yeah it might be it's a little dramatic that's a little dramatic but it could be the deal that they're kind of like saddled with for a while if he doesn't flame up because that's a long that's a long-term deal that's uh and four million well it's not like it's not a huge anchor it's also not the most insignificant thing in the world, right? Um, but if it if it um, if it pans out, then this is an awesome deal for Ottawa. It, it's it's another it's a thing where it's like it could really go either way, um, yeah. but they're they're banking on it long term. And with goalies, I feel like you can just roll the dice, really, right? Like, this could be the greatest. Yeah. This could be the greatest thing to ever happen to that organization, or it could just be a hey, we have four million des- less dollars in cap space the next few years. Like, it's really, it's really tough and to I determine was... because free agent goalies coming in, it's impossible to tell how they're going to do. I feel like. Yep, and I was about to touch on that. Actually, I was the thing that I wanted to point out was just the fact that. We, you just can't trust a goalie deal anymore, which makes grading a deal like this so hard. Because I, for all we know, he could turn into Patrick Waugh next year, or he could turn into, who even knows, AHL goaltender backup. <laughs> you never know, right? Like, And obviously, that's, why, that's the scary thing about paying goaltenders so much for so long. Four million, nothing that bad, but it's still going to burn a hole in your pocket, and we'll have to see what Ottawa does about that i obviously we've seen a couple teams in recent years win with team goalies who have not necessarily been stars obviously this year is an example of that aiden hill but i still think that when i think of like an elite team i still think of a team that has that elite goaltender and for a team like ottawa that's looking to contend potentially for a cup i just don't see corpusalo being that guy which is the issue that i have with it i think with being the fact that you're paying, you have a young team here that wants to win, right? Very, very soon. They want to win now. And you're paying Corpusalo for four years, which I, if he can elevate his game to that level and bring them there, perfect. I'm wrong. I have no issue being wrong. But if I, that's the doubt that I kind of have there, I think. Because when I look up at a line like this, I'm looking, or a team like this, I think that they should be potentially looking to bring in a bigger guy. Obviously, we spoke about Hellebuck in the the first week, in first episode, whatever you want to call it. I think that Hellebuck would have been a bit of a better fit for a team like this. Obviously, again, we'd probably have to take a peek if they could even afford him. But I feel like that would have been a move that I would have rather see Ottawa go for. I would have rather seen them go all in. But I don't hate it either. It's not a lot of money, not the end of the world, whatever, what have you, right? Yeah, I, I I disagree slightly. I I just you talk about bringing in a bigger guy like Halibut. I just like could I could see how easily that could blow up in their faces. That is my one True. concern. Um, this is why I I kind of like this deal. I think a lot 
more than maybe I should, just because I'm kind of the opposite side of the spectrum. You think Ottawa should bring in a little bit of a bigger goalie? I feel like this is the perfect kind of, like, project um, to where he could become that bigger goalie, right? Like, like he's on the... Ver- like, he's his, his stats from from last year are, are pretty good. So he posts, like, he had a, um, 913 save percentage, um, in the season with Columbus. And then when he moved to Los Angeles, he had a 921. Like, those are good numbers, right? Like, this isn't, it's not, it's not a, it's not like you're putting a flyer on a guy who's just shown some potential. Like he's, he's posted it for like, like a season or two. Um, so there's something there. Uh, I think it's, if this were like a million, million and a half per year cheaper, I would be like high A's range for this. Like it feels, it would feel like the awesome, like the best kind of deal to put Ottawa over the top as it is. Um, I'm feeling like a B plus, um, just because it feels like the ceiling for this one is so high that this could be a move we're talking about and being like, this is what got Ottawa to a Stanley Cup. Um, and it's for, and if that happens, then it's a steal. Then it's like an absolute steal. And I do think like that the floor is low, but I think if it doesn't work out, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna be, you're gonna be strapped, but it's not going to be as bad if you pay, as if you pay like Halibut five years, eight million and he flops. It's just, it's not as, it's not quite as big of a risk. And I think I think I do like that. I think it's a little bit. I just think it's a little bit pricey for me. My biggest issue is with the amount of money they're paying him and for how long. Not the player or the fit because I think both are are pretty good. I am so happy we finally disagree on one of these. It was annoying me that we kept ending up at the same. Yeah. Point. So I'm happy that to say that I'm going to stick with my guns on this one. I still think that Hellbuck would have been better. I don't disagree though completely with what you're saying i think it's there's a lot of very good points there because obviously like you said the upside is there i think that out of all the moves and this might be controversial to say considering all of the moves we've talked about having high upside low risk out of all the moves we've talked about this probably has the most risk which is where i have the biggest issue because i which is why i'm going to give it this rating i'm I'm gonna say b minus i don't think it's it's pro and that's not me necessarily calling it I guess it is me calling it the worst move so far, <laughs> but I don't want to emphasize too much on that because I still think it's a very good move for them. I just don't, I wish they did more. You know what I mean? I, I, because what I just feel like you bring in a guy like Hellebuck. Yeah. <sighs> and he, and it works out. But that's a, ooh, but, but if it works out, is a, is a bigger if than you might think, even for a guy like Hellebuck. Right? Oh, I'm, I know. I know, but it's just thinking about that. <laughs> to play to your side too the other thing about corpus Allo, just before we end it is that like he does have to stay healthy that's he has a lot of injury yeah. concerns and that would be another thing to be like may not work out may be a waste of a few million but at the same time i, I still stu- and just to be clear just to be clear i love this ottawa team i love how young it is i love the potential they have i hope it works out just personally that's all all i'm saying is that i think they could have done more and that's that's all I'm trying to say with that. We can do you want to do you want to move on? Do you want to go We've got two more here. Do you want to run through them? Uh sure. I think I think these can be done really quickly. Like I don't have a lot of, a lot to say about yep. either of these. But yeah. 
Okay, so obviously, first one, Cam Talbot to the LA Kings. This is one where they're, I, it's clearly just replacing Corpusalo. This is clearly a guy who's probably going to slide. I don't know if he's necessarily going to slide in and start. They still have uh, Phoenix Copley, I believe. Yep. I believe? Yep. Yep. And uh, anyway, that's a potential. That's a pretty solid goaltending duo right there. Cam Talbot can still carry his weight. He's still a pretty serv- serviceable goaltender. Not a lot that I think we can really say about it. It's just one of those moves you're potentially you're either bringing in a backup or you're bringing in a guy you can, you know, give you forty games and you'll be fine. Like, eh. this is, yeah, this is such like a nothing, a nothing to you. He's he's a, it's no. a thirty five year old goalie that's gonna play out the end of his career as a backup in LA. Meh, I don't know. Yep. Like I don't have the number on it. I'm gonna take a wild guess that it's very low. Yeah, one, <laughs> one year, one million. Meh. Yep, that's what I thought. What I figured. Yeah, meh. Could have got better. Could have got worse. It's the same thing, like... I have no issue with it. It's hard to even give a grade to. I'd probably just give it a B. Yeah, like... Or no, B minus. I'd, 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 give it, I'd, give it, I'd give it a B, just because B feels like my very, like, average point. Eh. Okay. I don't think I... I sure, I'll, I'll meet you on B. They haven't, they haven't gotten any better or worse because of this. Eh. No. Well... Well... <laughs> I feel like they might have gotten a little worse losing Corpusalo, but... He, he's yeah. definitely not as good as Corpusalo. He's definitely don't. You can't even argue. Make the argument. Oh no! Oh no! I'm, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I just like. Okay. It's just it's it's an insurance policy kind of deal. Like it. It's something they had to do to band aid Corpusalo, leaving and sure like I like I they'd get a lot a little bit worse, but it's also still a backup goalie. Um. the The only the yeah. only way this can get worse is if Copley like flames out. Um, mm-hmm. which, yep, that's the one thing, which yep, could, which sure. could definitely happen. Um, so maybe, maybe I should care about this deal more than I do, but as of, as of right now, it's just like when you lose, like, like hey. I, they're not going to pay Corpus Allo as much as Ottawa did. So it's kind of, it's kind of just, no, it's, it's kind of just what they had to do. Yep. And I completely agree with you. I think we're both on the same page on that one. B... Be range. It's nothing impressive, nothing bad. It's just a guy you're sliding in. Anyway, we can move on. Final guy, Laurent Broussois. I think I got that. Do you know if that's right? Yep. Yep, that's... that is Killing right. it with names, too. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> that's... Obviously, that is who the Winnipeg Jets are planning to replace Connor Hellebuck with. If they do end up moving him, which obviously not leaning towards moving him. We talked about that already. We don't need to go more into the Hellebuck, I'm sure. I think we talked about that enough in that 40-minute segment I think we had on oh, it. Oh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I think this is a pretty good move for the Winnipeg, all things considered. Obviously, you're going to get a downgrade no matter what, losing Hellebuck. But I don't necessarily think you're trying to bring in a guy who is as good as Hellebuck. I, when I look at Winnipeg, I'm looking at a team that I don't think they're trying to contend now. No, they're on their way out. This this is like okay. This, this is this is a. Uh, th- I think this is I think this is quite a steal. It's one one year one point seven five million, and Brassois played really well in the playoffs for Vegas last year until he got hurt. Right. Yep. Um. Obviously, Aiden Hill took over and won the Stanley Cup for them, but Brassois was playing really well into the second round, um, against the Oilers. Like this feels like, um, if Halibuck's if Halibuck leaves, it's gonna leave a huge hole in the 
and and win in the Winnipeg team, right? Obviously, <laughs> but with Bruce Swatter, it doesn't yeah. feel as bad, and you're saving yourself a lot of money. Um, it just feels it just feels like the perfect kind of transition move um, to where the Jets are going to be the next few years, which is probably like near the bottom of the league standings, and um, I think that's okay for where they are now. They're not going to contend, and I think they're starting to realize that. And Brassois feels like the perfect kind of goalie to pull them through that. Like, it, it's a it's a good signing. Like, it's a it's it's a signing I I really like. Yep, and I agree with you completely. I think that obviously it's a pretty great deal. I usually have an issue with signing players off of a playoff performance, just because obviously they're going to be elevating their game. And which is why I just kind of disagree with it in general. I don't think it's a good way to measure a player's overall skill. But when you're getting him for 1.7, no, not a lot of risk there. I think, and I have no issue with Brossois as well. I think he's a great goaltender. I think he's going to be a great replacement for Hellbuck. And um, yeah, I can definitely say this one's, I like this one a lot more than the Cam Talbot pickup. I can definitely say that. Obviously, we have them right next to each other, so I don't want to compare it too much, but. Um, I think it's a great pickup for Winnipeg. I'd probably give it a B plus. Yeah. Nothing crazy. I'd go in. Obviously. Yeah. Sorry. No, I'd I'd, I'd go in the same range. I'd say like A minus, um, just because of like, like yeah. I like I completely agree with what you're saying. Like, signing players off player performances is risky, but I think the fact that he got injured balances it out a little bit because it's not like his number is inflated True. at all. Like this still feels like a little bit of a steal. Um, for the price that they got him at, I do wish it was I like. Yeah. I, I wish it was a little bit better of a team that got him um, for his sake, but uh, no, I think it's a good deal. Sure. Yep, and that's the thing about this one-year contract. I think this is an opportunity on both sides for uh, Bursa to obviously have a bit of a breakout year with Winnipeg, which I'm sure is what he's aiming for, and then going to free agency next year, trying to get a bit of a bigger deal, obviously on a probably a contender. And we'll have to see how that works out for him and Winnipeg. But uh, yeah, I I do not disagree with the name minus at all. I think it's totally in that range. It's not a lot of risk at one point seven. It's not the end of the world if he, you know, falls off or whatever, what have you. Goaltender signings, we've talked about that enough. But um, there's not a lot of risk here. There's quite a bit of reward. He's a very skilled goaltender, and we'll have to see what happens with that. For sure. So uh, I don't know if you've heard Simon, but in recent NHL news. Uh, someone Johan Franzen called a terrible man, the worst person I've ever met, has recently been hired as the new Columbus Blue Jackets head coach. That is Mike Babcock, uh, who had obviously a lot of success in Detroit, was hired as kind of the savior of the franchise in Toronto, and then everything kind of fell apart um, when it was revealed about how toxic the work environment was around Babcock and um, how tightly he ran his team and how awful he was to some of the players over there. But it seems that Columbus is giving him a second chance. What do you think of this move, Simon? And do you think it's he is a good fit in Columbus? I think it's interesting. I think it's very, very interesting because there is a part of me that wants to say I like it because there is a part of me that does like it. I think it's a... I think it's a really interesting move that I think there's going to be a lot of people talking about over the next couple of months because it's definitely controversial. It's It definitely falls on how strong you are or how big you are in that style of coaching because we've kind of seen that fade 
out of the NHL slowly. We've seen like the tough coaching we've seen throughout all of history not quite work as well. Babcock, obviously, I don't have to tell you about his style. It falls on the tough side. And um, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. We're, I, I feel almost weird giving uh, an opinion on it before we see what happens because it's just, it's. I feel like there is potential there for them to him to succeed because I truly, I do think Babcock's a good coach. I think that you can't tell me, sit right here and tell me that he wasn't a good coach in Detroit. It worked. Back then it worked. It's just, we're talking about, this is a decade later now. Can it, that style of coaching still work in the NHL? I personally think it can. We'll have to see if it does. I have a hard time giving a prediction though, because I, obviously, the only thing that I can think of potentially being an issue, we've seen how Johnny Goudreau's kind of struggles under that coaching we can we've seen that obviously with the flames that's the biggest thing that sticks out to me patrick line it's another guy who doesn't really like hard coaching if i if history my brain's remembering right anyway um i think it's very interesting i've said that ton i'll let you take over from there but yeah i don't know i don't have a fully developed opinion yet i don't think and i don't really think it's possible to have a fully developed opinion at this point like i think you're right um because I think a lot of it also depends on how much Babcock has changed. Because in the in his opening press conference, right, he's waxing poetic about um, how like his daughter has helped him change his coaching style, um, and like saying how he's adjusted his tone and um, realizing some of his mistakes from his past um, his past coaching stints. And you just have to like it's hard to know how much of that is real and how much of that is him posturing to get a job again. Cause I think I, I, I don't yeah. think like you say this kind of style works, but there's a, there's a line between hard coaching and like verbal abuse. And Mike Babcock has definitely <laughs> yeah. fallen on the side of verbal abuse more often than he should. For sure. And, um, I think rightfully so players, um, especially today don't take that anymore. And I don't think they should. I don't think they nope. should have to, um, because like that—that's there. There's a difference. There, there's a difference between motivating your guys to work hard and kind of playing a hardline style and doing some of the stuff that Babcock did. Um, like I, I know one of the the famous examples of him is in Mitch Marner's rookie year, where he had to rank his teammates in order of work ethic, and then he had to share <laughs> that list with the rest of the team. Yeah. Like that's awful stuff. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it's just like stuff, stuff like that, that that feels like a bygone era at this point. And I like your point about Columbus maybe not being the best venue for that to happen in. Um, with the kind of players and personnel, and especially the fact that it's a younger team. Um, I don't know. I, I It's more of a more personal anecdote. It, it, it is, because to your point, it did work in Detroit. Like, he has the success to prove it. But I just don't know how much that can continue to work in today's game, especially with a young team that he has like Columbus, because if you're taking, if he's going to coach exactly the same way, I, I don't think it'll be successful either from a lack of player buy-in because they feel like they're just dealing with too much. Um, or from another big public like outing of his behavior, like he had in Toronto. Right. Um, it's that it is tricky to predict, and I think a lot of it just depends on 
Mike Babcock's personal journey and whether he's actually made a change in his style or not. Yep, and I completely agree with you. I think it's... I After putting a little bit more thought into it, while you're saying all that, I just thought about like my own personal experience, obviously not in the NHL. I hope I do not have to say that. Obviously not as high level as this, but I can definitely say that it is hard working with those types of coaches because there's... By creating, by having that sort of environment, you're having almost a wall between the coaching staff and the players. And in some cases, it works. In some cases, when you can build that fear of the head coach that we've seen work in the past, it works. And there's sometimes when you completely lose the locker room and everything goes to hell, which is what has happened to Babcock. It happened in Toronto. It's happened in other places. Like it's, it's what always happens. These types of coaches have a shelf life. That's the thing that constantly gets repeated, right? It's how long can you create that fear without just that fear becoming hatred, which is where obviously I think the Blue Jackets are bringing him in in the hope that they can, they have a lot of talent on this roster. Obviously they just got uh, Fantanelli. I think that's right. I don't know why I don't remember. Yeah, they got Fantanelli. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, they have, they're bringing in a couple of young guys. I think they're hoping Babcock can hopefully get maybe, obviously they signed him to a two-year contract. I noticed that. I think that's a smart decision by Columbus. I'd be surprised if he came back after that. I think they're trying to hold on to the short-term success that Babcock can potentially bring them. I would be very shocked if it becomes long-term with a coach like him. So just for a little bit of context for – because. I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, whenever something big like this happens in sports, I think the biggest thing that gets asked is, where were you? I can say that it was, I, crap, you just, June 21st, I believe it was. And I remember I was getting ready for bed. I was getting, and I get a text from my dad just saying that, that Domingo Germain, I believe is how you say his name, I'm sorry if I said that wrong, was about to complete a perfect game and how in my dad's entire life he had never once seen this and i just turned it on on my phone and watched the last three innings and got to witness the 24th perfect game in mlb history it was a very very cool experience i can definitely say that and uh caleb you said you weren't lucky enough to catch it but i think we can both speak to how incredible it is to see another one of these obviously the last one was in 2012 by uh, felix hernandez i believe Yep. Obviously, just an incredible, incredible thing to see. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, for me, something that I um, always compare stuff like this against, I'm going to give another... I, I've already given him a shout-out in a, one of our past podcasts, but John Boyce has a series on uh, Dave Steed, the pitcher uh, for the Blue Jays, and his quest to get just a no-hitter, and how... He was, it, he was a starting pitcher for so many years in the majors and one of the top ones in the game, and he came so close to getting a no-hitter on multiple occasions and was never able to quite reach that mountaintop. So to see someone get not just a no-hitter but a perfect game, um, it's incredible, especially since it's been an 11-year wait since the last one. Yep, yeah, for sure. And obviously it takes an insane amount of skill, and I'm – do not want to take away from that, but it also takes just an absolutely bonkers amount of luck, which you kind of hit on there by just 
obviously you have to get so, so lucky. I mean, even in this one, I don't remember if it was the seventh or eighth inning, so you're going to have to forgive me on that. But um, all I remember, the biggest thing, I remember there was two batters straight that went to a three and two count. And I was, I am, just to be clear, Blue Jays fan, hate the Yankees, have never cheered for the Yankees more in my life watching this game. But I, I was crap in my pants. <laughs> I can fully tell you that because it was terrifying because obviously one pitch goes sour in that entire, in either of those two at-bats, all gone. You just need such a perfect amount. Like, it needs to be a perfect storm for something like this to happen, which is why it's just, I, I'm so happy I got to see it live. I'm so happy it happened. And, um, yeah, it's just so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, there's a reason they call it a perfect game. Like, it, it literally needs everything to break right for you. Um, so there's a reason we haven't seen it for as long as we have, and there's a reason there's such a limited number of them that have even happened in the majors. And um, even the, the, the things that would normally um, dilute the importance of this, like the fact that it's the Yankees versus the A's, um, and considering how bad the A's are, like, uh, if you're nitpicking, you can be like, oh, like it's a little bit lessened because of how um, bad the team he's playing is. But honestly, it, it isn't. Just because of how big of an achievement this is. No matter what team you're playing, as long as it's another MLB team, like a perfect game is one of the biggest t- achievements in sports. And it's one that only like a handful of players are able to claim for their entire careers. And so the fact that Domingo Germain, who is not an all-star pitcher by any chance, um, five and five on the year, and I, I don't think his stats are, are yeah, he, he entered the game with a five ten ERA, which is not great. He only had one complete game before in his professional career, no career shutouts, and obviously those oh. he both eclipsed for the first time. Um, it is a lot of luck, right, because Domingo Germain is not an not an all-star guy. He's just another starting pitcher for the Yankees. Um, but uh, it's still incredible to see. Um, and I'm sure incredible to witness, at least the part of it that you did. Oh, yeah, for sure. And also just another thing to point out how rare of an occasion this was. Or this game, or just an accomplishment this was. Another thing, and I'm just reading this now. I do not want to pretend I knew this before. But... Uh, he also threw what's called a max, which I don't know if you know what that is. Maybe I'm just clueless. And for baseball, I'm not the most knowledgeable person in the world. But he threw a shutout in fewer than 100 pitches, which you might not, which isn't crazy necessarily. It's obviously happened before. But doing that in a perfect game is very, very rare. Like even more rare, obviously. As the last person to do it was. Oh, wait. Never mind. 2012 as well. Philip Humber. 96 pitches. I didn't... Wait, there were two perfect games in 2012? There were a lot of perfect games. In, in, I think there... I think there was two, maybe even three in 2012. Really? Which is crazy. Oh. That kind of goes to show... Did you show, know that? <laughs> yeah. I, I, knew there, right. I knew there was okay. a lot in, 2012, in 2012. Um, So, yeah. There's been 24 perfect games in MLB history. Um, yeah. And then we find, yeah, Domingo Germain was the twenty fourth, and then, yeah, there was three in twenty twelve. 
2013 and 2012, all within wow. a few months of each other. Uh, April of 2012, I feel like I June of 2012, and then Felix Hernandez in August of 2012, and then not another one for 11 years. It's the reason that caught me off guard is because I kind of misread it. Because, like I said, he threw 96 per, uh, pitches in his. I, in my head, for some reason, I read that as 1996. But, uh, yeah, still an incredible accomplishment by, uh, by uh, obviously, like you said, not necessarily an all-star pitcher. But, like I said, it takes an insane amount of skill and luck. Everything needs to come together just at the right time. And the funny thing is, and I've been seeing this come up every once in a while, He's kind of struggled in his last couple starts since, which is interesting to me at the very least, just because of the fact that like it really does show you that like it the luck there is such a big luck factor when it comes to this, right? Yeah, no, there definitely is. Like it's um, because you can always have one pitch go awry in the ninth inning when um, your arm is completely dead and. There's not much, that much left to play for. Um, just just looking at it, you always wonder. I, I always wonder about that last guy up to bat for the other team. Like, how bad would you feel if you were the one who broke a perfect game for the other pitcher? Like, do you do you think that does remind me actually of uh, watching it? Like the it was in Oakland, and the Athletic fans in the crowd were cheering for. Uh, for German, for German, or German, German, German. I, I don't know baseball pronunciation. You're gonna have to forgive me for that. But um, anyway, they were cheering for him, and I was thinking in my head, like, like you said, last guy, guy up. Like, do you just let him have it? <laughs> yeah. Like he's gone that far, right? Like, what's? Like you like, just I was you thinking just feel, that to myself. I feel like you just feel guilty as the batter at that point, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, even the. Like, cause I was, like I said, I was texting with my dad during this and he pointed out, cause I pointed out to him that the fans in the crowd were cheering for the Yankees. And, uh, he said, yeah, of course it's history. That's what he, that's what he said to me. And, mm-hmm. and that just kind of sticks out to me. Cause I wonder if the players think about that. I think they must. I think they must. Um, cause you really don't want to be the guy who ruins someone's like, like it's like it's kind of a legacy thing too, right? Because nobody remembers the people yeah. who oh for sure who almost had a perfect game. Yeah, he just solidified himself it, on a list that only has twenty four names. Yeah, that's just bonkers, and especially in a sport as old as baseball. No, it it really is. It really is. I started, right, my I started my recording. Okay. Three, you want to clap? Two, one. Okay. And whenever you are. Perfect. Um, okay. So in recent NFL news, they've kind of continued with a string of suspensions that's been in line for them in terms of what they've been cracking down on, and that is gambling. Um, as sports betting continues to become more of a thing in both the United States and Canada, it's legalized in more and more places, you're starting to see the NFL crack down on it in terms of their players and what they do or do not want to see, uh, which is really interesting, just not in terms of the fact that they are cracking down on it, because it makes sense um, if you have players betting on the, or their, the sport that they're in, 
obviously uh, it kind of compromises the integrity of the game. You can see if like, a player bets against his own team and uh, doesn't put in as much effort, or if a player bets for his own team, like, there's a lot of complications that can come with it. The interesting part is, and in how inconsistent the NFL has been in doling out these suspensions, um, so where you can see players getting suspensions for domestic violence that are only one or two games long, and then you have players like Calvin Ridley who place a single bet while in a team facility and they get suspended indefinitely up to a year. Um, so it's definitely an interesting string of suspensions. The most recent ones were um, three game suspensions for, uh, I guess now former Colts cornerback Isaiah Rogers and I think also former Colts linebacker Rashad Berry, yep. as well as uh, free agent Demi- uh, free agent defensive tackle Demetrius Taylor and a tit- Titans offensive lineman Nicholas Petit Friere. Um, uh, who yeah oh yeah uh, the three players I mentioned first got a one-year suspension while the Titans offensive lineman got a six-game suspension. Uh, what do you think of these suspensions, Simon? Do you think the length of them is justified? And uh, do you think what do you think about the NFL cracking down on it as much as they are now? I first want to thank you for bringing up something because I was not thinking about it before you started talking about it. About the idea of like kind of just comparing it to other suspensions with obviously the example you used domestic abuse, which we saw last year with Deshaun Watson. I think that's a very, very important thing that needs to be talked about more. I think it is getting talked about quite a bit, but it should be more, I still think. Because I don't... I am very... I'm very much a believer in the fact that the while, obviously, you meant, like you said, and like everybody else is saying, gambling on the sport that you are a part of, or even in other sports or what have you, as an athlete or a professional athlete can obviously compromise the integrity of a thousand different things and it's obviously not good for the sport but it's the world we now live in and it's something that we're going to have to see how all these leagues and all these players adjust to it and what they and how that kind of works out and uh, I think it's going to be very very interesting but I am very very firmly against it getting a longer suspension than things such as domestic abuse and other crimes like that in that category i'm sure i don't have to list them for you but i think that in that i shouldn't have to say that that should be something that should be more frowned upon by a league like this i think it's something that really they they need to strike down on even more than the gambling because we've seen in countless occasions of these obviously deshaun watson he was a star player and then all the allegations came out and we don't have to get into the allegations but all of the allegations came out, and he got, was it eight games, nine games? I don't quite remember, but all I remember was nowhere near enough. Personally, I can say that I didn't think he should ever be allowed to play again, which I hope I'm not, which I don't think I'm being controversial in saying at all, which is why I think there's an issue there. I think that needs to be addressed more, personally. Yeah, I completely agree. Um... I almost think the difference between... Because you, you wonder how um, these gambling suspensions are like found out. You, you wonder how the NFL uncovers this kind of stuff. The biggest names that we've seen so far that have been um, 
caught for gambling suspensions are, I think, like I mentioned before, Calvin Ridley and, for me, the Lions, Jamison Williams. Those are the biggest names I've heard so far. But in other cases, like domestic abuse, it's always, like, the stars of the NFL. It's it's players like Deshaun Watson and um, I know, like, I'm pretty sure Ty- Tyreek Hill, I think, had yeah. issues. Maybe not yep. with... I Did he have dom- right. issues with domestic abuse? I believe that's yeah. right. Um, I don't. I don't. Obviously, don't want to say that um, without having. I don't want to speculate on that. Yeah, on the course. topic of serious is that. Ah, um, uh, yeah. No, looking it up, I. Um, he did have history with domestic abuse, and he's yep. obviously still in the league. Um, and even going back even further, not quite domestic abuse, but still the issue with like Adrian Peterson, um, abusing his kid. Um, there's a lot of nasty, nasty stuff that has gotten, like, pennies compared to some of these gambling suspensions. Um, Calvin Ridley, like, again, I, I just don't... Calvin Ridley serving a year for gambling versus... I don't even know if Tyreek had any suspension. Um, like, there's there's a big discrepancy there. And it almost makes me think that the NFL is more using these gambling suspensions to serve... to, like, set an example to players like almost as a scare tactic with some lesser like because they're not suspending their stars still and you wonder if it's happened with stars and they're covering it up a little bit which is obviously speculation but domestic abuse and all of these more serious allegations feels like stuff that just comes out naturally it's more of a thing that comes out in the news cycle and then the nfl has to deal with it but you're not hearing about this gambling stuff in the news cycle originally you're hearing about it through the NFL. It's announced by the NFL through their suspensions. It feels more like of a scare tactic for players in, in terms of how long it is than an actual like just punishment for the actions because the, the actions and the consequences are not equal here. Yep, and I completely agree with you. It's just, even if they are trying to use this to kind of scare players out of obviously trying to gamble on the NFL while they're playing... It's feels like they're just going about it the wrong way. I don't. I I feel like you could probably just swap. If anything, I feel like obviously I said to Sean Watson, I don't think he should be playing in the NFL. But if they gave him a year, I guess I I would have been more okay with that. You know what I mean? Like whatever the most <laughs> that we could give. If we're saying that taking away a full year of a player's career is the max, like what have you, biggest suspension you can give, it should not be to the people who are gambling. That should not be the case. Yeah. Yeah, and it just feels... I think part of the reason it's so disappointing, like, it's why we bring up this compare the comparison point with other suspensions, is because we've seen players like Josh Gordon, who've had their careers ruined by suspension. Like, you can see what the NFL can do with suspension. They're not afraid to hold back... Um, on other things, like, um, because jo- Josh Gordon's issue was, was marijuana, right, and, which is now legal in a lot of states, and he had his career basically ruined by it, because he, like, got a year of suspension, then played a few games, and then got suspended again, and now he's out of the NFL playing in the XFL, um, and so you can see how the NFL has the ability to suspend people, but just whenever it happens with the star, their stars getting in trouble with like serious um, crimes and serious stuff that needs punishment, that needs some sort of retribution, 
you're not seeing action, and that's why it's so frustrating. And then these gambling, uh, these gambling suspension serve as just another like uh, point in the line of uh, the NFL just being extremely disappointing in how uneven their discipline is. Just why, um, I, if you've ever watched uh, Urinating Tree on YouTube, is his way of putting it, is the NFL's wheel of discipline. It's like they spin a spin a wheel and just see whatever it lands on for how long a player's going to serve their suspension. It doesn't seem like there's any rhyme or reason to it um, beyond just whatever the NFL feels like it and how long they can keep their marketable stars out of play to where it'll still be profitable and where they can avoid bad press. It feels like a business decision because it is, um, and I think that's why it just feels so, so gross. So obviously, I can safely assume that we both watched the Super Bowl. We were both there, and, there and watched it, and uh, there was a little bit of issue throughout the game with the field. And I, th- I definitely noticed it when I was watching. I don't know about you, Caleb, but um, now it's kind of coming out more that the NFL kind of had an unofficial, not an official excuse, but this was the unofficial one that kind of came out that they were blaming the players for not wearing the right shoes, which is very interesting. And even in the article I pulled up on it, just as a little bit of a refresher on the topic, that the Eagles changed their cleats, but it didn't matter. So it's an inter- it's interesting to me when the NFL decides to blame teams or players who, quite frankly, it shouldn't really matter what type of shoes, as long as they're wearing the right equipment, what type of shoes they're wearing for the for the game as long as they're football you know cleats it should all work it's interesting to me that that's what they choose to blame that all however many players who played in the super bowl were all not wearing the right shoes <laughs> it's an interesting it's an interesting move to me yeah it definitely is and it speaks to um uh an, uh, an unwillingness to blame the poor quality of the stadiums owned by the billionaire owners of the league rather than the teams um because as a Seahawks fan, I can personally speak to how awful the Cardinals stadium turf is. I don't know what it is uh, that they do at State Farm Stadium, but there's just been so many um, injuries caused by poor turf quality there that I, I just can't accept that as an excuse that it was somehow the team's fault. Think back to, I think back to the end of the Legion of Boom, um... Earl Thomas broke his leg on the turf in Glendale. Richard Sherman tore his Achilles on the turf in Glendale. Will Disley tore his ACL on the turf in Glendale. Like, both non-contact injuries um, that were just caused by poor field conditions. And I feel like this happens all the time at Arizona. I would always get nervous as a fan going into Arizona just because I knew that the potential for injury was so much higher in that stadium than anywhere else. Um, and I think that kind of, not the injury part, thankfully, but just the poor field quality in general kind of came to the forefront in, this, in the world's biggest stage. And I don't know, blaming blaming the players for that, especially when theoretically it should be in an in indoor stadium, right? Like it's a retractable, retractable roof and also played in Arizona normally when players are and teams are talking about changing cleats it's because they're like playing in the rain or playing in the mud because they don't have traction 
it, this isn't a situation like that. You can't um, say, like, oh, we didn't have the right cleats for the weather. It's just because the turf is so bad that um, they weren't able to use whatever normal cleats that. It's not like Arizona is a abnormal environment to be playing a game in. Like, it shouldn't have been that big of an issue. Yeah, for sure. And I 100% agree with you on that, on all that. And the, it's it's just so interesting to me that that's what they blame. Because, like, in the Super Bowl, it is the biggest game all year. It should have the best conditions. I feel like that doesn't have to be said. Of all the games that should not be changed or affected by things outside of the two teams competing, the field should not be the thing that determines. I'm not saying it did, but I'm saying that it should not be a factor. You know what I mean? And I can say that I have played enough backyard football in regular running shoes to know that most shoes can grip pretty good on grass. doesn't matter. Like, obviously, cleats are better and cleats are different. But I, all I'm saying is that the field must have been terrible if these NFL players were struggling in cleats on a day that was not raining, it was not muddy, it wasn't anything, like you said. It was just a regular day in Arizona. Or, yeah, I think that's right. And it's just, this is not something that should have happened at all. Like, it's, it should never be a factor. Yeah, for sure. And it's, uh, no, like, with, with, with it being in Arizona, it, it just doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. It's the biggest stage in a place where, um, you're not normally going to have bad field conditions. And also take into consideration, too, that there are teams of people on each of these respective teams whose jobs it is, whose sole jobs it is, is to get the players' equipment ready for this game. Like, teams are on this kind of stuff. Um, there's a reason equipment managers exist. It is to solve problems like this. And um, I just think it's so interesting that the NFL is putting the teams to blame rather than pointing the finger at themselves it it feels self-serving as a lot of the things that the nfl normally does are and um well it, well it is a small thing that doesn't really matter right now in hindsight it's just it just feels petty on the part of the nfl they just sort of speak to a larger issue of the nfl failing to take accountability for anything which um as we kind of discussed before with the suspensions aspect of it is becoming a bigger and bigger problem as things progress and different issues arise. Yep, and I completely agree. Like, it's it's just a problem that shouldn't exist, quite frankly. there It feels like the... It's 2023. We've solved so many problems. <laughs> it feels like some crappy grass should not be the thing <laughs> that should be affecting a Super Bowl. Thank you so much to watching or listening, wherever you are doing that, to this podcast. It means so much, especially if you made it all the way to the end. It means so much, and I cannot emphasize that more. Me and Caleb both put so much time into this stuff, and it's it really does mean a hell of a lot. So thanks so much. Make sure to check it out on other platforms if you got time, because I can promise you most ver there is usually a different version everywhere you look. And uh, check us out on TikTok as well. We're over there. We are now on Instagram as of this week. And um, 
yeah, I think that's it where we where we are. Also, YouTube Shorts. We got stuff on there. Anyway, if you're looking for short form pr- content out of this podcast, I can guarantee you it's there. So make sure to take a look around for it. Drop a subscribe, follow, whatever the hell it is on whatever platform you're on. There's too many to count, so I'm not going to say all the words. Anyway, I'll end it there. Thank you so much.